In this special bonus episode of TopCast, the Teaching Online Podcast, UCF's Dr. Wendy Howard moderates a question and answer session with TopCast co-hosts Tom and Kelvin and Episode 74's special guest, Dr. Shuba Kashyap, during a session of OLC's IELOL. There you go. Our meeting's being recorded. Just a couple of quick uh, housekeeping items. Uh, we are recording this session, and we're going to add it to the TopCast post as additional content. Um, so if you have a, a question or a comment, um, please repeat it into the, the microphone if you feel comfortable. Otherwise, I'll repeat it for you for those who are just listening and not necessarily viewing the recording. Um, and also, again, just a reminder to please keep your microphone muted when you're not addressing the group so that we can minimize background noise. Okay. I can see people are starting to introduce themselves. Thank you. Uh, the other thing is if we get into a very involved discussion and there are lots of folks that are eager to ask questions or add to the conversation, um, I'm going to encourage you to please use your hand raising feature in the participants list uh, so that we know that we can acknowledge you because you have something you want to share. Uh, but also at any point you can put your question or comments into the chat and we'll keep monitoring that. So without any further ado, I should um, in introduce our special guests that are on this session. Again, this is a live Q&A follow-up to the special IULOL uh, session of TopCast. And uh, in that session, we had special guest Dr. Shuba Kashup and um, Tom and Kelvin from UCF, Tom, Dr. Tom the uh, Dr. Tom Cavanaugh and Dr. Kelvin Thompson, say that fast 10 times, um, had some great questions and a great conversation with Shuba regarding her leadership journey and some of her lessons learned along the way. There was some great conversation about mentorship and um, uh, culture, organizational culture and advocacy. And so I hope you had a chance to watch it all the way through before coming into this session. Um, I am going to um, allow them a chance to introduce themselves to and say hello to you really quick. Uh, but let me also reiterate, we have Dr. Tom Cavanaugh and Dr. Kelvin Thompson, our TopCast hosts from UCF, and our special guest, Dr. Shuba Kashup from University of Michigan. So if you guys would like to say hello really quick, then we can start to look at the, the chat for some questions and follow up conversation to your recording. Well, since I, I spoke earlier today, um, Maybe uh, I will just say hi again. Uh, I am Tom Cavanaugh, Vice Provost of Digital Learning from the University of Central Florida, and uh, leave it at that um, and turn it over to either Shuba or Kelvin. I guess I'll go next. Hi, my name is Shuba Kashup. I am part of your IELOL faculty group here. Welcome to your day one of your immersion. We're so pleased to have you. Um, I hope you did have a chance to look back at the, um, or watch or listen to the podcast. I just went back and did it for the first time since taping it. And so I uh, hopefully I'm refreshing our messaging and just making sure that I can assist you where I can. I'm the director of online learning design and innovation for the University of Michigan's College of Engineering. Uh, Kelvin, I'll take you to hand this to you to take it away now. Thanks, Shuba. Uh, it's good to see and hear you again. And uh, yeah, I did the same thing. I uh, listened back and watched back that recording again, so it's all fresh. 
uh, as if it was uh, just just today, which it wasn't. I uh, hope everybody got a chance to listen to the recording. I'm Kelvin Thompson, uh, a co-host of uh, TopCast, the Teaching Online podcast, which if you are not already a listener, we sure hope that you'll consider becoming one at this point. Uh, you can find the entire backlog of like 71 episodes at topcast.online.ucf.edu. We'll put that in the chat as well. Subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And uh, this episode uh, that you've already accessed and uh, today's Q&A that we're participating in right now uh, will release in mid-September is the plan. And uh, this Q&A will be bonus content in our feed. So you'll be, so be mindful that we are recording for posterity uh, should you decide to suddenly get real and personal on the recording. <laughs> Back to you, Wendy. All right. Thank you. And since we don't really have any slides uh, for this session, I'm going to stop sharing my screen so that we can maximize. Uh, if you want to go to gallery view, we can maximize everybody's actual camera feeds. Um, but I was monitoring the chat and there were a lot of great insights. So I hope you're making your way down. Thank you for everyone chiming in there. Um, forgive me if I missed you, but the first question I see just chronologically came from Casey Ford. And Casey, I don't know if you feel comfortable unmuting your, your uh, microphone if you'd like to ask your question. Otherwise, I can ask on your behalf. I'm happy to unmute. Hi, uh, thanks so, so much for the great podcast. I was uh, especially struck by your conversation about advocacy for, for people um, who uh, you're working with. And I was wondering if you could share any more ideas about how to advocate, but especially for uh, our, our, our fellow online learning professionals in universities, you know, where sometimes the, those aren't the, the people who get advocated for the most. And are you talking about as professionals or as uh, oh, your shoot, peer? Oh, I think you're Whoa. muted. Classic <laughs> mistake. Classic, classic. As if we haven't been using Zoom for years now, right? Still. Um, so uh, did you, just to clarify, Casey, thank you for your question. Are you talking about in relation to the students in online education or uh, us as peer leaders? I was thinking as peer leaders. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm happy to jump in with my thoughts, and then Kellen and Tom, um, we'd love to hear. Uh, we'd love to hear you in your own podcast, I guess. Um, so, where I think advocacy has so many different dimensions, and it's really based on individual needs and. Um, in the way that I look at it, but also how to address the larger conversations. So the way that I would suggest it is I would first make sure that I didn't limit myself to those who I directly saw as tied to online education every day. I think online education is a broad context and it is becoming broader every day. And so in the, in the um, conversation of advocacy for online professionals and peers, I would like to make sure that my uh, advocacy list doesn't just include us. I think it includes those across the university that are being impacted by online education. So uh, connecting with the learning centers, connecting with the registrar's office, making sure that they understand what we are going through as professionals and helping them connect to see how our work and their work is related is oftentimes the first groundwork for advocacy is demonstrating where we have similar challenges and opportunities. Um, 
so because I think you don't always want to find yourself in a situation where you're only around people just like you. I think advocacy often builds from the idea that you're working with people who are related or may not realize they're related until you've had a conversation. Um, so that's sort of the groundwork, I think, that comes from advocacy. I also think that advocacy is a continuous process. And so if you're looking around the table and you see that someone's not there that should be, find a way to include them whether it's directly in the room or as part of a project. And I may have mentioned that in the conversation as well, but I think the where I have had my opportunities for advocacy is when people either include me or I include myself or people pave open doors, hold the door open for the person behind you and make sure that they get to represent their voice in the conversation. Um, thoughts on that, Kelvin and Tom? After you, Dr. Kavanaugh. All right. Uh, well, I'll go a, a slightly different direction, uh, acknowledging I agree with everything that Shuba just said. Um, that, you know, sometimes, at least historically, online learning has been something of a stepchild within a lot of institutions, thought of, um, if at all, as an afterthought. And um, we're in a unique moment right now with, with the pandemic where we've suddenly become extremely relevant even in institutions where online learning hasn't been relevant in the past. So one thing I've tried to do is advocate for online learning in general as a solution to institutional objectives. And um, that means uh, positioning it in a certain way. I once heard a, uh, a consultant for Gartner say, you don't want to be the IT guy. You want to be the guy on the team who knows IT. You want to be the one who's bringing your expertise to bear to solve the problems that are on, that everybody's problems that are kind of on the table. And by doing so, suddenly the work that you're, that you're involved with, that you care about, that you're passionate about, um, gets, gets put into the center of the bullseye, so to speak, and can, can, be, um, can have that impact that you want it to have. I mean, that's why we're here. We want to have impact. We want to change students' lives, and we all believe in what we're doing. I mean, we're not just here so that we can create X number of sections of online courses. It's in the service of something greater, and um, that that service of something greater is usually that impact that we're looking for. But you can't have that impact unless you're you're in the room where it happens, right? And and you are um, you're at the table. So I'll, I'll invoke every cliche that I can. Um, but that, that does involve some intentional advocacy. And sometimes, I mean, Shuba's right. There are times when I, like when I first got to UCF, I just went to an awful lot of meetings. Sometimes I was invited and sometimes I wasn't. And you just sort of show up and you advocate for yourself and, and, and you know, things can start to happen. You start to make those relationships and you start to remind people of, of the value that you can bring um, advocating for yourself, which is a little different maybe um, than, Casey, what, the, what you had asked, because um, a lot of times advocacy is in the context of advocating on behalf of some marginalized group or somebody who's underrepresented or somebody who's not at the table. Um, so that's maybe just a little different way of, of thinking about it. The only thing I'll add to that, I, I agree um, 
with both what uh, Shuba and Tom said. Um, and to cut to the chase, I will make another plug, as, as I think I did in the, the podcast episode, for the conversation we had with Liz Chiboki back in episode 53 at the 2019 IE LOL, uh, which was really all about um, uh, inclusivity and diversity and equity and advocacy. And um, I and, and picking up a little bit on what Tom just said, um, I think still broadly when you look at online learning leadership, it is uh, bluntly way more white, male, and older than perhaps it needs to be. So you all are a great crop of leaders and uh, just looking around, knowing some of you personally, and looking around at the at the at the representational images here, I, I think this is this looks a little bit more like our community. And so my hope is over time, um, our senior positions uh, will be more representative and diverse and, and, and inclusive. So uh, that's my quick comment on that. I see that our time is up, Wendy. <laughs> It's going to go fast. I know it. So I want to get to Chris Ziska Strange from University of Arizona. Um, she has a burning question. So if you'd like to unmute, I'll let you ask your question. So um, I am actually super interested in mentorship and online learning, um, especially since I have been the recipient of some incredible mentorship. And I was curious uh, if you all had input on what the most important aspects of mentorship is in our field, like what, what needs to be there in order to further our field and continue to make it relevant and flexible and everything it needs to be. I would give first uh, choice to Shuba as our special guest and faculty member on that. So uh, thank you for the question. I think when, when we ask questions like the most important, I start filtering through my head of all the things that I want to say, but I can't because you only want the most important. Um, <laughs> but that's a lot of pressure. Um, depends on what day it is and what my needs are. But I would say that for um, in this field, there's a balance in a mentor between demonstrating yourself as an expert and how a mentor helps you do that in a place where sometimes it's still such an unknown for folks. You know, we've been doing online education for quite a while, and yet it's still such a mystery to so many people about how, who, when, why, that if you have a mentor that can really help you articulate that messaging, I think that really does well for yourself as a professional, for the team you're leading, and for the students you're advocating for or, or, or serving. So I think that that's a really important quality of a mentor, especially for us, is how are you demonstrating um, your expertise as a professional in this field? I also think that the quality of the mentor involves someone who, um, has a really open mind and a wide perspective on the field across the board. There are a lot of people that can help you with specific functions or specific things or how to build a budget or how to design a course or what's good universal design. But when you're looking across the field of online education and looking for a mentor there, I'd hope it's someone that could teach you about the breadth of 
the the challenges and someone who has had that long view and can teach you about how or illuminate for you and maybe i won't use the word teach but illuminate for you those cross sections on those interdependencies i think some of the best mentors i've had in online education have done that for me that's a great response yeah i was gonna say tom and kelvin don't feel obligated to respond to every question but if you have something to add i want to give you a chance I'll, I'll make one brief uh, comment and then I would invite Tom to see if he has anything additional. I'll keep it really simple. I have to work really hard at being pithy every single day. Um, I think maybe the most important thing, uh, this we're, we're talking about a, a leadership development uh, institute here with IELOL, right? So I think when we're talking about mentorship and online learning, I think the most important thing is mentors who can help us raise our gaze is a phrase I like to use a lot, right? You're, it's easy to get pulled down into the operational every single day. And so mentors who can help us broaden, widen our view uh, and be more strategic is good. And then as Shuba rightly pointed out in our episode interview, uh, we individually uh, have opportunities to be mentors. And so as we are mentoring others, I think it's up, it's, a, it's incumbent upon us, we should feel an obligation to help our mentees raise their gaze. So how can we do that when we're all drawn into the operational? We're pulled. Uh, I was thinking uh, today about this concept and uh, when I was in high school marching band, we marched in the rain once and I lost a shoe because the mud was just sticking us in place. And that's what the operational will do for you. It'll stick you in place and wanna hold your shoes on the ground. and we need to be focused on not being stuck in the mud. Tom? How do I follow that? <laughs> um, maybe the only thing I'll add is that um, a, a mentor should understand what your goals are, what your objectives are, and not necessarily what their path was or what they, um, what they think you should be be doing necessarily, but they should be helping you to achieve your goals. I think about, um, you know, for many years, I reported to a CIO. I had no desire to be a CIO, yet um, I was able to find a path that, um, that supported my particular career uh, goals um, through that CIO who was, who was basically a mentor for me. Um, so, you know, find that person who's got your interests at heart and will help will help you uh, find them, even if it's somewhat a little different than the path that they may have taken. Thank you. And you can't leave us hanging, Kelvin. Did you find the shoe? Or was it lost forever? We no, just need to good, know that. That's, that's not a good question. Related. That's a good that's... question. I'm pretty sure that I remember when the, the halftime show was over in the marching band, as I before the football players kind of ran back on as I, I went. I kind of knew roughly where it was. It was near somewhere near the 50-yard line, I think. And I went back and found it because I couldn't go home with just one shoe. I had to pay for those shoes. Got it. Thank you. Just to, just didn't want to you know leave anyone with any burning questions on that one, too. <laughs> All right. Well, moving down the list, Matt had a great question in the chat. I'll invite you to unmute yourself, Matt, if you'd like to ask it. Sure. And I'll scroll up so I can make sure I ask it again, kind of the way I did. But really, it's the role of instructional designers as a campus. We've We've just never hired people in those roles. We've hired people that were IDs that are kind of support people and just intrigued with how you consider them clinical faculty at UCF. And just curious, 
what's the value added? I mean, I guess as a faculty member, I see why we'd want instructional designers, but there's this fear that, oh, faculty will be lazy. They'll just do all the work. They'll never be able to keep up for all these work courses because every faculty member will have them do all the work there. And then we've gotten rid of the teach them to fish and we're just fishing for them all the time, which seems a little extreme to me, but I'm just curious if there's perspectives, if people have worked at a variety of places or strategies to broaden the conversation beyond that. Tom, I've got a lot to say on this subject, but why don't you go? Well, they heard me talk earlier this morning. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe, maybe this would be a good opportunity for you to chime in to see how closely aligned we are. Sure. Um, there's at least two sides of this coin, Matt. Um, I'm going to be really blunt with you, even though this is going to be a public recording. Um, this is a leadership development institute, and our TopCast audience is a leadership development place. I, uh, I've been really thrilled, uh, generally, through the years about the faculty status of our instructional designers at UCF, right? I think it, I said something about raising your gaze earlier. In a, in a sense, the raising the status, the, the elevating, the role, all of that's kind of good in this faculty thing. Um, but that's only gone so far right? Um, it's uh, different institutions. Our, I don't know if some of you might be librarians. Uh, many institutions, are, librarians are considered a kind of uh, ranked faculty. But as a senior colleague of mine likes to say, uh, yeah, go talk to your, 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 your full professor colleagues at the institution and see how they view uh, the librarians or see how they view the instructional designers as faculty. So there's faculty and there's faculty. Um, but the other side of the coin is I have sometimes in my darker moments wished I had a time machine could go back and undo that faculty status uh, for instructional designers because it, it, it complicates things as well, right? It complicates the, um, the intended elevation of role, and it, uh, it brings in uh, all manner of things like, okay, well, we have ranks, we have a promotion plan, that's good, but on the downside, are we pulled off mission? Are we, you know, to what extent does uh, a scholarship-based promotion plan, to what extent is that helpful, and to what extent is that a distraction? And um, a, uh, another university administrator said to me recently, well, some of your faculty and structural designers uh, are experiencing some of the same dynamics that we see in academic departments. Congratulations, your IDs are real faculty. And, you know, that, that's a, that's a, that's a two-edged sword, right? Um, it is kind of unique. It is, it is what it is. That's how we are here at, uh, at UCF. Um, and I'm really proud of the work that comes out of our faculty instructional design team. But it's not without its challenges, is I guess the shortest way I can uh, summarize the points that I was trying to make. Tom, you want to, you want to rebut any of that now? No, uh, no. In fact, I, I think you've done a good job. I'll, I'll maybe uh, add some color commentary. Um, I think that the, the idea of having a scholarship requirement, a research and scholarship requirement as part of the promotion plan has act, actually resulted in some, in some nationally recognized scholarship coming out of UCF from the instructional design team. We've got people who are experts, I think national experts in certain things, accessibility and online persona and some other things that, that folks are really known for. And, and that I think has only helped UCF's national reputation. 
So reputationally, it's all to the good. But as Kelvin says, having that faculty status has complicated things. And frankly, it, it has um, caused us to maybe sometimes not be quite as agile and nimble as I would like us to be because we're constrained by a unionized faculty that has a collective bargaining agreement and there are certain rules and processes and procedures that you have to follow. And they don't necessarily support uh, rapid, agile, uh, sometimes responses. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword. It's, it's good and it's also frustrating at times. And so, you know, and I'm sure that if, if uh, the instructional designers were, were more professional staff and not uh, faculty, there would be different pros and cons associated with that arrangement. So, you know, it, it, it is the world we live in. I think it is, um, on the whole, uh, extremely beneficial for the university. Um, it does, I know, complicate things for the instructional designers for promotion because it, we, we can't really get external reviews because there, there just aren't very many other institutions that have our arrangement where we can have some other faculty instructional designer at rank evaluate somebody's promotion package. But uh, we're, we're able to work around that and, and uh, probably enough detail on that, on that subject for now. Yeah, we have about five minutes left. I, I knew this was going to go fast. So uh, Matt does have a follow-up question in the chat. So as he's unmuting, I'll also encourage everybody else, if you want to try to squeeze in one more question before we wrap up, either raise your hand or put it in the chat. But go ahead, Matt. So I, with your thoughts, any reaction of, we've got a 4-4 teaching load, so it's pretty high, but faculty love re reassignments for things they're passionate about. If you heard of people that actually would be qualified to be like a part-time instruction designer, is that attractive or is that even scarier than what you just described? Tom? Um, we don't do it here um, because the, the departments have too many needs in, you know, on the instructional side to give anybody a release to work with us. But having said that, this summer, because we had such demand for online faculty preparation, we trained 300 faculty through a brand new course, the one I talked about earlier. Um, we had to draw upon these experienced, what we call web vets, uh, online faculty to help us do course reviews and peer reviews and other kinds of uh, evaluations. So it could be done. Um, and those faculty probably are as good at doing these kinds of course reviews against a rubric as anybody because they're very experienced. But they were doing that basically out of the goodness of their heart as service because we're in a crisis and they're awesome. Um, doing that something more formally, uh, they are two different skill sets, uh, teaching and helping other faculty to develop their online courses are, are very different animals. And Shuva, do you have um, another perspective from University of Michigan that you'd like to add? Uh, well, I, I will I will just add that um, I agree with uh, the idea that if you're, you know, there's no one box that maybe necessarily works for everything and everyone. I know that as we've been transitioning to more one-on-one -on -one consultations for faculty that maybe we're only going to have a short-term encounter, a few conversations to transition. It's not a long, I consider instructional design conversations long-term conversations. And in this transition um, for a larger group of faculty, 
I would say that having them in a staff position has helped to allow us to be more nimble and it has allowed um, a level of openness so that they're not necessarily talking to what they may consider an instructor peer, but someone who's sort of um, helping them work out some, some, some applications and some ideation that I don't know if that happens the same way if you're in a faculty to faculty conversation um, or an instructor to instructor conversation. And again, this might just be specific to the current times and the level, the type of work we're doing, but um, it has been very helpful to allow someone to serve in sort of a staff role that, that then works almost as a consultant in this process. Awesome. Thank you. And I, I think that's a great note to end on. I was watching the chat. We didn't get any additional questions or any hands raised. Um, so I think we can end right on time. But this has been such a great conversation and a, a great way to, to wrap up that recording.